0: There is no other podcast like this, so proceed with caution as we challenge your beliefs by providing the forbidden information kept away from you and your family by modern medicine so they can keep you on the path of drugs for anything and drugs for everything. Hundreds of years of preventative medicine have been destroyed by Big Pharma. We're in the dark ages of true healing. After all, it's not just about living long, it's about living well. If your continuing search for answers has led you nowhere, you will find the truth here on the Forbidden Doctor podcast. Now prepare to have your consciousness explode into the next evolutionary stage of human existence with your hosts, Dr. Jack and Mary Stockwell. Stockwell.
1: Hey everybody, it's Dr. Jack. And Mary. And we are here with episode Fifty-eight mental health microbes and mom part two, a continuation of what we have just done last week, in the connection between mental health and the health of the gut.
2: Yes, and today we're going to be talking about dementia, um, how the worst mental health disease or problem there is. Yes, so y-
1: yes, and it's and it's many applications, and we'll get to that we're giving but at the beginning i want to tell you about our free symptom survey. We're giving away a free symptom survey to our podcast subscribers. And what this is is a it's a personalized survey that you would fill out the the answers to the questions. There's nearly 2
2: online. Online,
1: you do this online, nearly 200 questions, and that would enable us to give you a personalized supplement recommendation based on your symptoms, not some blanket approach that People try to push that everybody yeah. needs this.
2: This is personalized as your fingerprints are.
1: Oh, that's true. It's true. So this obviously would save money in the long run, so you're not buying stuff you don't really need. Instead, we're suggesting supplements that really target your particular symptoms. Now, there's Normally,
2: no- there's a $150 charge for this. But, well, and the reason there's a charge, because it does take our nutritionists over an hour or more to personalize it, and then they are all run by either you or I, by me, you or me. I think it's me.
1: Yes, it's it's me.
2: It's me. So they're run by us. But because you're subscribed to our podcast, you are the only ones that know how to get to this free survey. Everybody else, we charge for it. It's not on our website. You can't find it there. You have to type in a website address, which we'll give you at the end of the show. Yes, so
1: again, this is, this is tied into the concept of gaps. We have been talking about gaps for a year. If this is the first one you've ever heard, I would uh, first podcast you've heard, I would suggest you go to podcast number four, Intro to the Gut, that will explain it. And then comes the next one, which is number 43, podcast 43. What is so it gaps? Jumps, it and- jumps
2: from four to 43? <laughs> well,
1: there's all kinds of stuff in between, but 43 <laughs> is what is gaps and how does it work? Okay. Those are the probably the two most gaps oriented podcasts we've done, except from number forty three all the way up to now fifty eight. We we always mention it. We always mention it because as as Hippocrates said, all disease begins in the gut. And what we're going to do in this show is show you the the scientific stuff that is coming out left and right, up and down, coast to coast in this country, from various research centers, from California to New York to to Miami up to the university of Washington, the stuff that is coming out now from the microbiology departments, the endocrinology departments, the gastroenterology departments as to the relationship between the health of your gut and the health of the body. And in this particular podcast, we're focusing on the mind,
2: the mental health, the yeah. mental health. Well, the first article is from Reuters health. And this, this is a really scary one because it, uh, when you're younger, well, not younger, but, you know, as you get to midlife and a little bit older than that, we're, everybody's scared of cancer. But what are you scared of when you're really old and you haven't gotten cancer?
1: Yeah, if, you, if your cancer scare's passed away, you're going to be worrying about the condition of your brain. And, yeah. you know, we joke a little bit about it like, well, well I had a c- senior moment or something. You forgot this, you forgot that. But what if you start forgetting a whole bunch of stuff? That's the next fear, Alzheimer's.
2: Yeah. So what this article is talking about, it's, it's entitled Gastric Reflux Drugs May Be Tied to Dementia Risk.
1: Now, and the date of this is February 15th. Yeah,
2: 2016. That's, just a, that's
1: less than two weeks ago
2: yeah, this that this cr- article came out. So they're talking about repeated use for certain classes of drugs, specifically the proton pump inhibitors. They're called PPIs. Those are the Nexium, the Prilosec, the Prevacet. They actually list those brand names. Yes, because
1: what those drugs do, Prevacet, Nexium, Prilosec, what they do is they stop the stomach from producing acid.
2: Hmm. Hmm. So you stop breaking down your proteins. Yes. Now we we went over this two podcasts ago. We went over we had a whole podcast on why how important protein is to your body and how important animal protein is to your body versus plant protein. You might want to go review that podcast. That was a really good one, I think. But and so you find out, you know, of course, we all know that protein is the building blocks of everything. If you can't break down your protein into amino acids, you've got nothing. And so here These gastric reflux drugs—they're saying—may be tied to dementia, and it's interesting because the whole article is trying to make a correlation between the two, and it does end up making a correlation. But they say at the end, uh, "We don't know how it correlates."
1: (laughs) Isn't that something? Now they—they looked at (laughs) records. They looked at records from 2004 to 2011 on more than 73,000 patients, aged 75 and older, mostly women.
2: Yes, but but, but this way, these were only people that had taken the the PPI drugs, the proton pump inhibitors, for at least eighteen months.
1: Yeah, it's just a year and a half.:
2: Yeah, and I have patients that have been on them for two decades for two
1: decades, I know so I just, these
2: are people that got dementia and they'd only been on it for at least eighteen months.
1: Of the seventy three thousand, twenty nine thousand five hundred and fifty developed dementia that's 40 that means that you are 44% more likely to develop dementia if you're on a PPI than if you're not on a PPI.
2: You see how not breaking down and and digesting your proteins leads to brain damage, basically yeah. brain diseases?
1: And there's one thing I want to mention about this because the standard uh, medical argument is well, it's okay if we stop acid, you know, formation in the stomach because the proteolytic enzymes in the small intestine will go ahead and do the job that the stomach didn't get to do, which is nonsense, yeah, that's, that's. because the precursors, uh, uh, pepsinogen and chemotrypsinogen, which are released by acidity in the stomach, those precursors to chymotrypsin and trypsin are released because of the acidity in the stomach. If the stomach doesn't get acidic, Two of the most powerful parts of the proteolytic enzymes that come out of your pancreas that further breaks down the proteins that are left over from the stomach digestion never get released.
2: Yes, I explain this when I get, do these one-on-one tests with patients that if you're, if the chyme, as it's called, coming from the stomach into the small intestine, the mixture of all the food, yes. isn't very, very acidic, it won't release Two hormones that tell the gallbladder and the pancreas what to do. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it doesn't. So you can't bypass the stomach and expect proper digestion to happen. So which is what these PPIs do.
1: Yes, so you're getting improper protein digestion and improper fat assimilation as a result.
2: Yeah, no, and, that no,
1: and when you consider the dry weight of the brain is more than sixty five percent fat, and you're not feeding the brain what it's made of. Well obviously it's going to atrophy and waste away this is yeah. this is one of those my goodness they know this
2: well it's it, it's just funny that they think that they don't they don't know why there's a connection <laughs> you know if you don't have the building blocks yeah and they making build your body I mean the, hello?
1: it says the drugs carry an increased risk of kidney disease, <laughs> fractures, low magnesium levels, gastrointestinal infections. Clostridium difficile, C. diff infection, and pneumonia. But we don't know if there's a connection.
2: Well, and see the problem (laughs) is the problem is they should be fixing the gastrointestinal problems first. I mean, that's the basis for everything. Instead of trying to figure out what caused dementia. Yes. I mean they've got the cart before the horse here, but that's what medicine does. They go after the symptoms instead of You know, they get rid of the acid reflux and the heartburn instead of realizing, oh, we could easily fix this heartburn and acid reflux with, you know, Zypan or adding, you know, apple cider vinegar or more acid to the stomach. But no.
1: No, they don't. They don't do that. So if that wasn't enough of a killer, how about this at the end of the study? One study found that up to 70% of the drug prescriptions were inappropriate for the patient.
2: And what you seventy percent. And what you failed to read was before that. Before that sentence, it says regardless, patients should take the drugs according to their doctor's instructions. Yep. Hanish said, whoever he is or she, I don't know, who wrote the study. <laughs> I guess it's just. So, in other words, you know, they're prescribed wrong. Seventy percent are prescribed wrong, but still, patients should take the drugs according to their doctor's instructions. Unbelievable! So this is what the forbidden doctor does. We're giving you the power to to change your health instead of um, you know relying on.
1: Well, let's other talk people. about let's talk about some of the major articles now that have appeared since just a year ago, up till this other one we just got through talking. Two These weeks ago. These are the ago.
2: top seven articles These on are the, the mind, the brain, and the gut of 2015.
1: Yeah. So Washington Post. Uh, Harvard neuroscientist, meditation not only reduces stress, it changes how your brain works.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So
1: it says, We found long term mediators, uh, excuse me, meditators, meditators, (laughs) long term (laughs) meditators have an increased amount of gray matter in the insula and sensory regions, the auditory and sensory cortex. They also had more gray matter in the frontal cortex, which is associated with working memory and executive decision-making.
2: Okay, and- now let's pull this in with the, with the podcast last week where we talked about people that are calm. Yes. And people, and people that can't get calm. Their anxiety is through the roof because their gut does not produce the neurotransmitters, the dopamine, the serotonin, the endorphins. That can that calm them down when they get under a lot of stress. Well,
1: GABA is the primary GABA uh, butyric uh, acid. Yes, that is we, the number one calming neurotransmitter, and it's yes. made in the gut.
2: Yes, and so they can't meditate, so they can't get the benefits of meditation because they can't calm down enough to meditate. We just had a guy just last week shoot up, kill six people in Kalamazoo. Just walk, just drove around town and killed six people. Now. He was probably on antidepressants, but before he got on that, he had a bad gut.
1: Which caused the depression.
2: Which caused the depression, which caused him to get on antidepressants. Yes. There's, a, there's another article that we may or may not bring up. Um, a suspect in triple murder has been diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic.
1: Yeah. He was, so, he was diagnosed that before he killed the people.
2: Yes. This is why this is so important. So the very first article of these top, t- top seven articles... Talks about how meditation helps um, change your brain. It actually literally changes your brain. But these are people that can't meditate. Yes, and we
1: know that a healthy gut, because of what we talked about last podcast, and what we're talking about this one, the healthy gut can change the brain. A healthy gut, just as well as an unhealthy gut, can cause mental health problems. Now... The, let's go to this, the Buddhist monk. What the, what happened to the Buddhist monk in the MRI machine?
2: <laughs> this was in The Atlantic.
1: TheAtlantic.com. Atlantic is a monthly magazine. A lot of people subscribe to it. And and they, So they asked the question, why are some uh, people more resilient than others in the face of tragedy? So what the researchers found in, in the MRI scans of monks that a region of the brain that's known as the anterior insula was activated. Now, that's what we just mentioned in this Washington Post article, the gray matter in the insula and sensory regions. Now, the insula has an awful lot to do with your ability to remain calm in the, in the time of when everybody else is losing their heads and blaming it on you. This allows you to stay calm and a sense of well-being. And so what they found with these monks is that when they looked at the monks, especially during meditation, and they looked at the MRI, the area of the brain, the insula, was activated. Now, quote, I'll quote from the doctor himself, every neuroscientist will have their favorite part of the brain. The anterior insula, because it's where a lot of brain-body coordination takes place, he says this, The systems in the brain that support our well-being are intimately connected to different organ systems in our body. Get this and also connected to the immune and endocrine systems in ways that matter for our health. Now, what did we talk about in the scientific reports in the last podcast?
2: That exact thing. That exact thing. stimulates our immune system and stimulates our endocrine system. The
1: metabolites Mm
2: -hmm. and byproducts
1: of the flora in our gut. The things that the flora release into the fluid that's in the gut gets through the gut wall into the bloodstream. And when it gets there, it influences positive immune response and a more balanced HPA axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal, that have a direct effect upon stress, your ability to handle stress, and your sense of well-being. So here's a second report that talks about the same effect taking place in the brain and in the gut. And this is, and, and you know, and Mary and I have talked about this for a year. And you say, "Well, that's you know, that's just Jack and Mary." And no, 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 this is the science that has come out in just the last twelve months.
2: Yeah, that's exciting.
1: How about the 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 one that talks about your gut feeling? Isn't a gut feeling is not a metaphor?
2: Yeah. Oh, I have a gut feeling. This person is. Um, oh, I'm going to put all reds on. <laughs> no, I'm going to put all my money on red. I have yeah, a gut feeling. <laughs> I've got
1: this gut feeling, and I would walk up to you and say, "Honey." The last 20 numbers in a row that came up are all red. Why would you do that now? Because I have this gut feeling. I'll tell you, if we're ever near a gaming table in our life, and and that comes out of your mouth, I'm going to pull a $100 bill out of your purse, and I'm going to put it down on red.
2: Well it's not as scientific but now it's starting to be scientific but a gut directly.
1: feeling and then and and then the uh, bowels of compassion from first john chapter 3 that that i that we talked about in the last podcast the, this idea that has been around for a long time i said i got this why don't you like him i don't know well you just met him you don't know anything about him yeah but i got this gut feeling something's not right
2: okay well let me tell you about a study that was done it was based on a group of mice in a They split a group of mice based on their personality, timid versus adventurous, and then the researchers took another set of mice with microbe-free guts. Remember last time we told you how they had bred these particular mice to have sterile guts? Yes. I don't know how they did that, but they did. And so they had these microbe-free guts, these sterile mice, and then they had this these other sets of mice, and they broke those up into those mice that are timid and those that are, are were adventurous. They injected the microbiome of the timid mice, and in the other half, they injected the microbiome of the adventurous mice, and, and lo and behold, those germ-free mice took on the personality traits of the microbiome owner.
1: Now, simplify that what you just said to the man or woman on the street
2: that basically we are our gut mental wise, mental wise, the health of our mental state is based on our gut.
1: So we can no longer say the devil made me do it. My gut, my gut made me do it.
2: And then these mothers out there when they're, when, and I don't want to call them crazy mothers, but depressed mothers and anxiety filled mothers and, you know, all kinds of other mental or disorders, and then they have children, and lo and behold, their children have the same personality traits. A lot of insecurities, a lot of shyness, a lot of um, autistic-type behaviors where they can't be intimate, they can't be one. They can't be one with themselves. Their brain and their gut are not connected, so they can't be one with other people. You know, that's that's a big sign of a very autistic person when they can't look you in the eye. I mean, that separates see, them from humanity. You see humanity. how you're
1: bringing together all the little things that we've known for decades, maybe centuries about the human family and how all of this now is coming together in the representative health of the gut. Yeah. All the little things that were floating around out there on the periphery that we couldn't necessarily tie down to a particular cause or action. And now it's becoming very apparent just because this one study on the mice.
2: Well, there's another one. There's another mice study that was done at the California Institute of Technology. Um, it found that mice with autistic features such as stress, antisocial natures, and troubling gastrointestinal symptoms had much lower levels of Bacteroides fragilis than normal mice did. And they said worse still, when they injected a chemical, and I can't pronounce that chemical, Jack. Can you pronounce that?
1: For ethyl sulfate.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, when they injected that, found in the guts of autistic mice into normal mice, they developed autistic symptoms too.
1: Now, we can't just pass over that and go to the next one quickly. That is significant. When they would take the the byproducts of... The, of a, this chemical that was produced by a particular kind of bacteria in the gut of a normal mouse and injected into the gut of another normal mouse that second mouse developed symptoms of autism
2: okay, but you said that wrong this was the, this this did not come from a normal mouse this came from
1: no an it came autistic, from that's what i said
2: social trouble. yeah death- I said
1: it when, when it came from uh, the, ba- the bad bacteria. Well, I, I'm I'm assuming that the, the autistic mouse. mouse had bad bacteria.
2: Bad, 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 bad mouse. Yes. <laughs> and they injected it in the good, 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 good yeah, mouse. Yeah,
1: the point is still the same here.
2: Good, good mouse became the bad, bad mouse.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> when they took the bacteria from the autistic mouse and put it into a non-autistic mouse, the non-autistic mouse began to develop symptoms of autism. How do you measure autism in a mouse? We'd have to have a mouseologist on here so we could talk about that. But they divide mice, rats, different kinds of animals that, uh, that are used in scientific experiments because we just well, can't can find enough human Germans, volunteers. But, you know,
2: the, the Germans did it. The Germans, those nasty German doctors, those Nazi doctors that did terrible experiments, they were trying to create the human, the... The,
1: the perfect man.
2: The perfect man, yeah. The yes. perfect race. And so they studied the gut. That's their main, that's where we have all our information, basically up until this last few years when we've started to study the gut. It was from the Germans because they were trying to create the perfect race. So they studied those soldiers that had stamina and strength and everything else, and they studied their microbiome. That's where we have a lot of this information from. But this is new research that we're talking about here. So there's another study that was done at the University College of Cork, Where's that, Jack? Ireland,
1: in Ireland, County Cork in Ireland.
2: Okay, they found that mice born via C-section had a greater risk of suffering from depression than mice born vaginally. Turns out the C-section mice had far less diverse species of microbes in their gut, most likely because they couldn't pick up the beneficial microbes found in their mother's vagina.
1: So what does that mean then? Between a cesarean birth... And a a normal vaginal birth for human beings.
2: Yeah, you need... You you think the
1: same relationship can exist here? Yeah. And they're just beginning to study this stuff.
2: Although you can mitigate a bunch of that damage from a C-section birth if you nurture your baby and touch it and kiss it and play with it and let it play in the dirt and all these kinds of things. I talked about in the last podcast um, in New York, how there's 8 million people here. And that's why these New Yorkers are so tough and resilient.
1: Yeah, how They're many, nice. how many living, living in Salt Lake City, how many people do you come in contact with every day?
2: Not very many. And you know, you me
1: know. and our son.
2: We tend to be kind of sweet and Then you windy. get
1: to the clinic and there's four or five <laughs> uh, employees plus the one patient you'll see that day and then you go home. Yeah. But you've been in New York for a couple of weeks on a business trip and how many people do you run across in the subways?
2: Well, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You mean you know, we'll reach out and grab those poles and I think, yes, look at all that gut. You know, and I and I and I overheard this young girl talking to another young girl the other day on the subway, and she was saying, you know, it's really weird, but I love making I love boiling chicken and eating this the soup from the chicken. She she couldn't have been, I don't know, she was barely out of her teens. She was very young. And, and the other girl was like wrinkling up her nose, saying, Ew. And she goes, I know it's weird. And she was trying to justify it. But she was like, I just really, really like it.
1: (laughs) See, she was eating what she craves.
2: I know. It was beautiful. I wanted to go up there and give her a big hug. But, of course, you don't do that in New York. (laughs) You don't touch people. (laughs) But they touch everything. Well,
1: talk about that in connection to biome depletion. In the sense of a lack of exposure to infections.
2: Well, this is like the kings and queens offspring. Yes. They would not allow them to be by anybody, and they were always weaklings and died, And especially the boys, because boys are much weaker than girls, because we need a lot more girls. Mother Nature needs a lot more girls than they need boys, than she needs boys. So these queens and kings babies just, you know, drop like flies everywhere because yeah. they were never let out in the sun. They were never around other people. They were kept separate and away and clean and yet you know the little stable boys and the what was it the nurse i mean the uh the ones that um the milkmaids milkmaids that's what i have to say the milkmaids they lived through the plague apparently
1: they lived yes they lived through smallpox uh epidemics
2: yeah this is in the in the dirt
1: and this goes back to this 2013 study at arizona state where they found that humans who have behavioral conditions such as autism had significant differences in their gut microbiome as compared to more normal humans. And again just by way of definition if you're not too familiar with what we're talking about with gaps, the microbiome is just the biome, the 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 life that exists of a microbial nature. It, you know, the 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 tiniest of life. Well,
2: they're they're yeah.
1: That exists inside the gut from your mouth to the bottom, but it's in your bloodstream, it's in your your lymph, it's in the cells, it's on the outside of your body, it covers your eyes, covers the mucosa membranes of your nasal passages, your throat. And how
2: much do we have inside of us?
1: 100 times more genetic makeup than there is of human genetic makeup. In other words, in our body, our bodies human cells, we have between 35, 38 trillion cells, according to the anatomist. They're still counting them. They just haven't got them all counted yet. 35 to 38 trillion. Multiply that by anywhere from 10 to 100 to get the number of bacteria that's inside of you. A staggering number. And when most of that bacteria is good and beneficial, when the microbiome that they represent are producing the kinds of chemical compounds that trigger strong immune reaction that produce amino acids that produce essential fatty acids. What these, what these little tiny creatures are doing is giving back to us what we give to them. We give them a place to live. They give us life.
2: And And we we, we, go ahead. ahead. We will die without them. Yes. We we, had a, a caller, um, leave a message. Um, an email for us. And he said, just listen to podcast 53 about good bacteria. Loved it. Sometime when you discuss the germ theory of disease again, you might want to quote the Dr. Victor Frankl, who was in a German concentration camp. He couldn't understand why virtually no one got sick when they were living in all that dirt and couldn't bathe. I never understood it either until I heard your podcast. And she or "He, I, I was saying back to her. I remember reading that he expected massive illness in the camps, and these were people that couldn't even eat very well. I mean, they didn't get much to eat, but their microbiome, with all of those germs and all that dirt and all was that, so filth, strong.
1: Yeah, now this may sound that's a,
2: what kept them alive.
1: This may sound a little antisocial, but we're not designed to bathe and shower every day. I know we're designed to have this mantle." this this covering on our skin of bacteria that protects us from everything bad.
2: And they're calling it now a lack of exposure to this or to infections. is called biome depletion. They actually have a name for it now. And they say a lack of exposure to infections um, causes immune systems to overreact to infections later in life. Thus, exposure to some microbes can help avoid such responses. And in the case of rats, this is a study they did, it helped prevent memory loss. Wow. So there's another dementia connection. To be sure, infections can be nasty and nobody is recommending that you go ingest bacteria to protect against memory loss. But a definitive conclusion is that the changes in the gut can trigger changes in the brain.
1: Now, I for one will recommend that you ingest bacteria to protect your memory loss.
2: Well, but not eat feces.
1: No, no, I'm saying bacteria. The bacteria that's in the supplements that we recommend.
2: The bacteria
1: that's in the probiotics that we recommend, which has billions and billions and billions of these little bacterial agents in each of the pills.
2: Well, it says scientists have found evidence that about a thousand different species of bacteria, trillions of cells that together weigh about one and three pounds, could play a crucial role in autism, anxiety, depression, and other mental disorders. There's been an explosion of interest in the connections between the microbiome and the brain, says Emeryn Meyer, a gastroenterologist at the University of California, Los Angeles, who's been studying the topic for the past five years. Some of the most intriguing work has been done on autism. For decades, doctors, parents, and researchers have noted that three-fourths of people with autism have also had some gastrointestinal abnormality, like digestive issues, food allergies, or gluten sensitivity. So this recognition led scientists to examine potential connections between the gut microbes and autism. And several recent studies have found that autistic people's microbiome differs significantly from control groups.
1: And the control groups, of course, would be people who have no autistic spectrum symptoms whatsoever.
2: And they're getting harder and harder to find.
1: So that's true.
2: I think there's a song like that.
1: And so they would take samples of the bacteria from these healthy people and compare them to the bacteria of these autistic people and saw a totally different microbiome picture. I mean, that's this isn't passing, you know, coffee table conversation. This is significant. And this is, it says he's been studying for the past five years. Well, Dr. McBride's been studying this for over 20 years. She was saying this stuff over 10 years ago. But major scientific research centers now are coming out and saying, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the health of the gut directly affects the function of the brain.
2: There's another article from Science Daily, um, Infant Gut Microbiome, a new study on its origins and how it, it's knocked out of balance.
1: Okay, mm. now the infant gut, the, 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 the gut microbiome, the flora that is in the gut of an infant for the first few months of its life is what it's talking about here. So go yeah. ahead, sweetie.
2: Um, our findings surprisingly demonstrated that cessation of breastfeeding, rather than introduction of solid foods, is the major driver in the development of an adult-like microbiome.
1: Biota, microbiota,
2: micro, microbiota. So the microbes inside your gut, right? Body. Yeah. The
1: the cessation of breastfeeding rather than the introduction of solid foods was the thing that changed the microbiota in the gut. So this profusion of bacteria that they're getting from mom, because mom's milk is full of bacteria, the good bacteria, if her health, health is, if her gut is healthy. How, how how do we tell when a mother is nursing her baby if her milk is not healthy?
2: Baby won't nurse often. Of the
1: baby won't nurse. It'll push the nipple out of its mouth or it will fall asleep within seconds of nursing.
2: Yeah, because the mother's milk has opiates in it. That yes. Literally, literally.
1: Opium. The byproduct yeah. of some of the bacteria in her gut
2: Makes is producing an opiate knock and knocks yep. the baby out. These are mothers that are eating eating solid sugar.
1: So these investigators noticed that while the C-section babies receive less of their mother's microbes, they're also able, but still be able to be passed on through the skin and mouth. So you were pointing this out to me earlier, Mary, uh, when I was talking about the the deficit that a C-section born baby has over a vaginally born baby. But you said that if they're being breastfed, that could easily make up for the fact that they were C-section delivered.
2: And one-third of babies born in the U.S. are C-section babies.
1: One-third.
2: One-third. All of my babies were C-section. So, But I did nurse all of my babies. But the longer you nurse, it says here, once bacteria takes hold in an infant's gut, their populations shift depending on what a child eats. Ooh. (laughs) The researchers believe that the cessation of breastfeeding is such a significant moment and microbiome development because certain types of bacteria thrive on the nutrients breast milk provides. Once these nutrients are no longer available, other bacteria emerge that are more commonly seen in adults. Our results underscore the role of breastfeeding in the shaping and succession of gut microbiome, microbial communities during the first year of life, the author writes the gut microbia of children no longer breastfed was enriched in species belonging to clostridia that are prevalent in adults. So in other words, you will be more prone to clostridia, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, what are some of the other? Uh,
1: well, there's clostridium difficile C diff Yeah, is really big in the news right now because almost everywhere you turn, people are having C. diff population overgrowth, then what is the standard of care for that?
2: Oh, antibiotics. Massive
1: antibiotics. Yeah. And it's not C. diff specific. It's going to take out a lot of the good stuff with it. So rather than fostering a diet, the GAPS diet, that would allow for the, for the promotion and heavily seeded growth of the good bacteria that keeps things like C. diff under control, they just want to wipe out the entire population. That may not be the best answer,
2: yeah, and then when we feed our children fruit juice and
1: well that's you know, that's it I, I liked it when you were you were mentioning that part that the population, when they shift from breastfeeding into other kind of foods, the gut population shifts quite a bit yeah,
2: yeah well, they, what,
1: they, what are kids put on rice cereal, grain cereal, two of the worst things they could be fed and or they're, or they're fed juice. breakfast cereals. Yeah, I mean, you you give a child a, a, an infant rice cereal that they can't digest, uh, a wheat cereal that they can't digest, which is really rough on the gut because when a baby's born, their gut isn't fully developed. Oh
2: yeah, they'll, they'll develop intolerant
1: and, and, all kinds of food intolerances just from giving them those kinds of cereals or some kind of boxed cereal, especially for kids. Kids love kicks. I mean, this is
2: uh, now babies below I age twelve. about go berserk
1: when I think about what these kids are not- fed.
2: Yeah. They should not have any type of gluten or any kind of wheat. They don't need it for one thing. They need liver. They need egg yolks. They need yogurts and kefirs.
1: Homemade, mind you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of these store-bought sugar-laden things. And they don't need any sugar to speak of at all. I mean, they they, they don't need all these fruits and vegetables. They need saturated animal fat and proteins, mostly from eggs start them off on egg yolks, that real fat, rich, most perfect food, and then move them into some of the other things. Um, Antibiotics account for one quarter of all medication given to children with a third of prescriptions considered unnecessary. (laughs) So they get antibiotic resistant, which is, you know, life-threatening.
1: And, of course, it totally disrupts the child's gut microbiome in, in ways that a growing number of evidence suggests with may have some real long-term circumstances or consequences. Consequences, Obesity, (laughs) allergies, autoimmune disease, and this fellow that you mentioned there towards the beginning of the podcast that was uh, paranoid schizophrenic. What was his diet as a child?
2: Yeah, he looks, there's a picture of him. He looks really, really sick. Um, Yeah, that's very sad. So, and then um, the next one, let's move on. Parkinson's may begin in the gut, and spread to the brain via the vagus nerve. In our last podcast, we talked a lot about the vagus nerve. There was a big study done on that.
1: In okay. a major epidemiological registry-based study from Aarhus <laughs> University, and, and that, I can't remember, it's either in Norway or Sweden, one of the two, it, but, it showed that Parkinson's disease begins in the gastrointestinal tract. Parkinson's begins in the gut. Now, it wasn't but a few months ago that I heard this on NPR, and I don't think it was Science Friday with uh, Ira whatever Flato, whatever his name is. It wasn't that. It was some other interview during the day, and you could probably research NPR's interviews and find that, but some of the researchers that were involved with this said, no, we have found out what causes Parkinson's. It's a microbiome problem in the gut and the poisons that are created by these bad bacteria ascend up the vagus nerve into that area of the brain that Parkinson stems from primarily the midbrain where the substantia nigra is that produces dopamine for fine muscle control. And yeah. they said it begins in the gut and it's that study where they came to that conclusion is the largest study in the field so far relative to the cause of Parkinson's.
2: And then, you know, there's Parkinson's, which is a terrible thing, but then there's other, other things, you know, just like the Zipka virus, you were going to talk a little bit about that also and how that relates. You have a healthy gut, you, you pregnant women out there don't have to worry about this.
1: The Zika virus. Yes.
2: The Zika. What did and, I say?
1: I think I'm I think, that's I what think
2: you I said,
1: said. Zika. No. Z- oh, that's the one that causes zits. <laughs> the Zika virus is the one that they're concerned about with Brazil and the uh, Olympics and all that kind of stuff. And they're suggesting right now that a woman who's pregnant or anticipating pregnancy does not show up in Rio because of the outbreak of this particular virus. This virus has been around since 1947. And it was first discovered in Central Africa. And interestingly enough, just in the last couple of days, the very first case of Zika virus has been found in South Africa. And because of the size of that continent, there's a big, there's a lot of miles between Central and South. But um, the thing that's kind of been in the news is the fact that uh, they found the Zika virus in uh, male semen. And one of the things, one of the the area in a man where we have one of the least concentrations of immune cells is in the testicles the same as in a woman one of the areas that we have the least concentration of immune cells are in the ovaries because we don't want the immune system attacking a female egg or a male sperm yeah and so it's natural for viral populations to accumulate in areas where i mean you, you, you know you you, take, you get rid of the policemen and you get rid of the guns in a community. who's going to show up? Well, you know the bad guys show up when there's no uh, fear of law enforcement. What's well, the same thing inside the human body? and so that's kind of got the news because you can pass the Zika virus through uh, through sex. Now, the Zika virus for most people is not they're not even probably even going to know they have it. For the same reason most people can come across a cold or a flu virus and never even know that they did because they have a strong immune. They have a healthy gut. 85% of your immune system is in the gut watching what comes across that border. And so when you have your borders taken care of, you don't have to worry about immigration in the sense of something getting across the gut into the bloodstream.
2: So, and talk about a brain you know um, disease. That's a severe brain injury if If, you know, you are pregnant and you don't have any defenses. Oh, microcephaly.
1: They're they're blaming microcephaly, the small brain, small cranial vault, uh, that uh, is a birth defect you see all around the world in different places. But they're claiming that um, there's a higher percentage of this in areas where this Anopheles or this uh, Egypte's mosquito exists. So they're trying to relate it to that. You
2: know, I read read a big article on this uh, lady that had a baby, and literally had a flat head, this poor baby, and just screamed all the time. You know how a severely autistic child will scream all the time, too. Um, this is this is autism on steroids, you know. This is the saddest thing ever, where the brain, of course, is just not there. And the, I read about this lady um, whose baby was born with a flat head, I mean, no forehead. And she had two other children, So, and they showed them, and they had normal foreheads and looked fine. So this is this is a severe thing that if you have a healthy gut, it won't affect. You know, it won't get hold. Well, like
1: you're going to have a very strong immune system, and like see, you said, the, the in viral infection poverty. won't get a hold I, on you. I,
2: I couldn't I couldn't believe the poverty she was in. They had pictures, and they I mean, she had like one pot. I mean, and this was Brazil. You know, I mean, I. I such such intense poverty. So you have to think about her diet. How good could her diet have been? Yes. But she can't even afford two pans. I mean, maybe she had more, but in the pictures, I mean, it was basically a dirt floor. It was such severe poverty, and so this mother did not get the nutrition she needed before and during her pregnancy. So that's it. All begins with the food that we eat. And then we've got to be able to break down that food also.
1: Well, so, we have been talking about this for a long time. Do you want to mention a couple of these other things that have come up that, that yeah. briefly mention them, the relationship between the health of the gut and the other parts of the body as well as mental health?
2: Well, you know, they, uh, there's an art, a local article in Utah where a teen was supposedly allergic to food it says, Lehigh Teen, Lehigh is the name of a, a small town in Utah. Lehigh Teen, allergic to food, finds new purpose after story goes viral. Well, you can't be allergic to food, but apparently everything he was allergic to, um, he, he his skin turned bright red. He had hives from head to toe. I talked about a patient that I had this happen, came in to see me, and was just the same, just like almost looked like a burn victim from head to toe. And six weeks later, I didn't even recognize him. He looked so much better. Yeah. So, and,
1: and I, but, I, I, but this
2: mom, this poor mom said she was so, she is so desperate to find help. She said, we probably went to 10 to 12 different specialists. None seemed to have any answers. And some have even told this young boy that it was all in his head.
1: Yeah. Well, so, you can't be allergic to food unless it's a protein. You, you, The only thing you have an allergy to is a protein. Well, now, you can have food sensitivities, and you can have a sensitivity to some of the ingredients that's in processed foods, but it says he's allergic to food, which is nonsense.
2: Well, he has nonsense. obviously a massive leaky gut, and, and his stomach doesn't have enough acid, so he's not breaking down his proteins because obviously these proteins are getting into his bloodstream. So he is kind of allergic to food, I suppose, but that, that's not the problem. The pro, they're not going after the source of the problem, which is so easy to fix, to heal and seal the gut. And that's what GAPS does. It heals and seals the gut. And, and it's so simple. I've had people that couldn't touch gluten and now they can eat sandwiches. I've had patients that can now eat sandwiches. If they got any gluten, they would break out these horrible rashes all over their hands. And now they can eat it just fine. So this is very easy to turn around. This is the forbidden information that you're not allowed to know. This poor lady has gone to 10 or 12 different specialists for her son and no answers. And, and it's right here in front of us. Um, there's another one, infertility in Utah. Utah, a higher percentage of Utah residents receive fertility treatments than in any other state. So Utah also... You know, I relate this very easily to gut because Utah also has the number one consumption of ice cream <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. per capita.
2: Yeah, that's and a a no.
1: number And definitely the number one consumption of jello per capita.
2: Yeah, because. And
1: you, the number one cons- uh, consumption of psychotropic drugs per capita.
2: Yeah, antidepressants, because they have bad guts. They can't create the serotonin and the dopamine. So if, if and, your new wife is crazy, <laughs> you get her gut healthy.
1: Rather than giving her antidepressants during pregnancy. Why? Don't you
2: give her antidepressants.
1: What happens when you take them during pregnancy?
2: Yeah, 80, what was that? What was the statistic? I read it right at
1: the beginning. 87% increase in autistic children.
2: Yeah, you want an autistic child? You want an
1: autistic child to take antidepressants while you're pregnant.
2: that's, That's depressed and has anxiety. No, you simply get her healthy first. And it's not hard. It takes maybe four months, maybe six months, maybe a real bad case. It takes a year. But what's a year to have a baby that's healthy mentally, let alone a wife and a mother that's healthy mentally, <laughs> for the next 90 years?
1: This I don't was know
2: a- if you've been around autistic children. I mean, severely autistic children. I mean, it destroys marriages.
1: I want, to, I want to read this one thing from the study. This is incredible. The study published in JAMA Pediatrics, Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics, used data from the Quebec Pregnancy Cohort and studied 145,456 children between the time of their conception up to age 10. The study accounted for a number of other factors that have known links to autism, including genetic predisposition, in other words, a family history. And they looked at maternal age, they looked at depression itself, socioeconomic factors. And what they found was that exposure to antidepressants antidepressants, was defined as the mother having had one or more prescriptions for antidepressants filled during the second and third trimesters of pregnancy. You would think that the first organogenesis the, yeah. the, the development of the organs. But the nervous system does, the brain doesn't really start a lot of internal connections till about the second and third trimesters. It it develops in its shape and its form during the first trimester, but the internal connections start between second and third. That's why there's not a whole lot of movement of the of the baby's body till about the second trimester. And then when these things start to develop, the internal connections, this is when they think that this is when the real damage is done, and you have an 85 to 86 percent chance. Now, if Look, you
2: here's the thing, if you're you're
1: knew that the you were problem. going to have an 86 percent chance of winning the next lottery, wouldn't you go buy a hundred dollars worth of tickets for that? Yeah. An 86 percent chance of your child having autism.
2: But if you cover up the symptom, Jack, if they're depressed or anxiety filled and you give them this antidepressant or whatever, then they don't have anxiety anymore. You don't go after the root problem. You don't fix the problem. And so you're living in this la-la land where, you know, Utah, we're good at this la-la land stuff of everything's fine. And then you don't fix the gut. You, of course, continue your diet of sugar, sugar, and oh, and did I mention sugar? And then you have these babies that are autistic. very, very sad.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay.
2: There's another study. Um,
1: we're really running the, long. The
2: right back gut bacteria may protect against malnutrition. Um, so even that corresponds with the study with Victor Frankel, where he talked about these these people were were dying in these concentration camps where they were getting no food, but yet there was so much filth around, <laughs> it protected them from malnutrition. Wow, that's that's interesting and then the pregnant one, and then, of course, just the triple murder, and then just the brand-new Kalamazoo guy that went around at 46 years old and shot and killed six people Yeah, just randomly. Now, when
1: when you look at all of the mass shootings, all of these school shootings, mall shootings, all these horrible things that have happened over the last several years, I saw this one report that said in only one case of all of these mass shootings, serial murderers, was there not antidepressants present all the rest of them the shooters are on antidepressants
2: well this guy had no past criminal record he's 46 years old he was quite obese from the picture we don't know much about him yet but you know maybe there's some gastrointestinal problems i don't know but he had no criminal record so this isn't a guy you know that was just raised horribly or something i mean he just like br- he just broke and went and shot up. He just went yeah. around to different places and shot up different people. Killed people in a restaurant parking lot, killed people in a in a car um, lot. This this dad and his 18-year-old son were looking at cars and a car sales lot and he just killed them. So I mean, this this is criminal that we are throwing antidepressants at mothers, at potential mothers instead of just simply fixing Well, that was my gut. point
1: in bringing up all of these mass killings, the, the, these people who kill a lot of people. Yeah, They're all some- on antidepressants. What is yeah. that doing to their gut-brain connection? And if that is so real in their gut-brain connection, for Pete's sake, what is happening in the developing brain of a fetus, of a, of a baby, in the second and third trimester of a woman taking the same antidepressants?
2: I don't even want to think about it. I
1: don't want to think about it either. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. And so how on a happier note? <laughs> well, we I hope we got a- our point across. <laughs> so anyway, we've got something to give away to you for free. Let's just finish with that. Okay. Because we're giving away a free symptom survey to the podcast subscribers. It, and it will, you know, if you have depressive moments, if you have depressive feelings, it will come out in this survey. And this survey lets us give you this personalized uh, supplement recommendation as personal and targeted to you as individually y- uh, expressed in your fingerprints, and it will save you some time and money. There's normally a hundred and fifty dollar charge for this because you're a podcast listener. It's absolutely free.
2: Yeah, you can't find this on our website.
1: No, you have to go to forbiddendoctor.com/survey. Yes, Forbidden this is our Doctor- online
2: one. This is just a brand new online symptom survey that we're doing, and you go to forbiddendoctor.com/survey. To yes. Get it.
1: All right. That'll take care of it. Yeah. So we'll see you next week.
2: Okay. See you later.
1: All right.
0: Thanks for listening to the Forbidden Doctor podcast with Dr. Jack and Mary Stockwell. It's our pleasure to join you on your health revolution and look forward to our quest for health together. Join us again next week for more health secrets and forbidden truths about self-healing. Until then, visit ForbiddenDoctor.com and enter your email to receive a special coupon for the Forbidden Doctor's special scientific formula, our long-life energy enzymes. This custom-made one-capsule supplement is created from the most concentrated energy-stimulating enzymes. For more information, be sure to head over to ForbiddenDoctor.com. These podcasts are provided for information only. The previous statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Nothing that was said is intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.